Hello, everyone. I am Stefan Guy. I am Chief Commercial Officer of Sovereign Metals Limited, which is listed on the ASX and AIM. Sovereign Metals is focused on the exploration and development of its Kasia Rutal project in Malawi in southeastern Africa. Rutal is the purest natural form of titanium. It's also the highest, uh, highest grade and lowest carbon footprint form of titanium. And in Kasia, we believe we've found what is likely to become the largest Rutal deposit in the world. Good to see you, Stefan. Um, we, we caught up with the company, I think, crikey, last July. So it's been it's been a while. So it might be worth going over um, a little bit of uh, detail and see what you've been up to since since then, and, and more importantly, what you're going to be doing this year. So I want to introduce your, your, yourself. I mean, what, what's what's your relevant background and experience? Yeah, sure. Look, so a bit of background to me. Um, I'm an investment banker by background. Uh, I spent uh, my first kind of half of my uh, banking career uh, in a emerging markets uh, commodities focused uh, role, which basically um, gave me a lot of in insight into M&A and dealings in Africa, specifically with mining projects. Um, and you know, I spent six months living in Joburg, working on on, on deals there. Uh, but essentially, becoming a trusted advisor for a number of FTSE 100, FTSE 250, uh, even AIM companies here in London who were doing business in Africa. Um, and then the second half of my career uh, was more focused, or, or my, my my investment banking career was more focused on uh, equity financings and matching what we perceived as very good mining projects with, with capital um, out there in the hands of investors. Um, so I think in terms of my background and what I'm bringing here is really, you know, we're focused on uh, Kasia, which is in Malawi. It's a, uh, it's, it's a greenfields project. So it's a matter of getting investors and, um, and and other third parties and other stakeholders to really understand what we've got in Kasia. I mean, we we internally believe it's a, it's it's really a once in a generation type of find that we found here, and I, I can get into the details of why we think that is. But essentially, my role sitting in Sovereign is 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 to uh, is to get the message out there, really, that you know. Um, this is this is something special. Okay, so remind us, like, who's on the ground operationally um, moving this thing forward? Yeah, so look, in terms of team, so we have our CEO, uh, uh, Julian Stevens, who is Perth-based, spends a lot of time in Malawi. Um, in fact, he's, 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 he's spent the last 12 years um, exploring in Malawi. So in terms of expertise, no one is better. Um, and alongside him, we have our chairman, Ben Stojkovic, who was co-discoverer of the deposit. Um, and I'll get into the background in terms of how we, how we discovered Kasia uh, a bit serendipitously. Um, and, and with those guys, we have a, a, a whole array of, uh, of technical guys, chief of which is probably uh, Paul, uh, Paul Marcos, who uh, has a around 25 years of mineral sands expertise. So, so, so really, if there were any gaps within our own knowledge, um, uh, Paul's there to fill those. Okay, so, so let's just, so we obviously, we, we, I think spoke with Julian last, last July, as an impressive guy. Um, 
to retail, right? It's slightly exotic. For most investors who are kind of comfortable with precious metals, even battery metals now, retail is slightly exotic. So we're gonna we'll, we're gonna skip through the what what it's used for bit in terms of pigment welding and titanium metals, right? Um, and get into what's going on in the market. Because you like like a lot of companies have come on here and tell me, well, supply demand fundamentals say we're running out of this stuff. Um, you know, so we need we need to, you know, we we, we will we will fit into the market beautifully and, and, and make up for some of that gap. But what, what's actually going on in the market in terms of who controls the, the retail space? You know, how, how does it? How what affects the pricing and the buying? And you know, who are the main users? If you can give us a little bit of background on that, that'd be useful. Yeah, sure. So, look, so look, um, titanium's mainly, uh, or titanium uh, dioxide is mainly uh, mined in the form of rutal or ilmenite. So you've got. You've got ilmenite, which I think a lot of people are more familiar with because there's a lot more of it in the world. So you have a lot more players, even listed in London, that, that are focused on uh, on ilmenite projects. Now, ilmenite is kind of 40 to 60 percent titanium dioxide, which is the, uh, the valuable mineral within there, um, versus rutile, which is 95 percent plus titanium dioxide. So it's almost there, um, and that's reflected in the price pricing mechanisms of these two uh, these two uh, minerals. So Ilmenite, uh, anywhere between kind of two to four hundred bucks a ton right now, uh, versus rutile, which is which is um, up to up to one thousand four hundred bucks a ton. In the spot market, we're even seeing you know rutile being sold at two thousand two thousand dollars a ton. Um, in terms of use, so titanium or titanium dioxide units uh, in terms of what's supplied to the market, it's about eight million tons a year into the market, which in itself is worth about $15 billion annually. Now that in, in that market, you've got Ilmenite, which caters for about six and a half of those 8 million tons. Rutal only makes up half a million tons of that, of that 8 million tons. So it's only a small portion of, of the market. Now you're going to ask why that is. And the reason is that most Rutal is mined as a byproduct of Ilmenite mines. So you have very good economic ilmenite projects around the world that have a small portion of rutile that comes out in some form of a mineral separation plant that's 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 on site and that the, then that company is able to sell that. In terms of the key key people out there right now who are selling rutile into the market, so you've got Iluka Resources, which bought um, some of the viewers may remember Sierra Rutile, which was AIM listed. Um, and Eluca bought Sierra Rutal back in 2016. Um, Sierra Rutal is the only real dominant Rutal uh, producer in, in, in the world. I mean, there's no, no one else who puts themselves as a Rutal producer. Um, and they, they produce anywhere up to about 150,000 tons of the stuff uh, into the market. Um, and then in terms of, um, in terms of, uh, byproducts from Ilmenite projects. Uh, the largest uh, byproducts are probably from uh, Base Resources, another AIM and ASX listed company, which uh, people are probably familiar with. Uh, and, and, and between Base and Iluka, that's around 35 to even 40% of the uh, of the retail market. Now that half a million tons that I spoke of used to be 700 thousand tons. So it used to be 200,000 tons more in 2017. Since 2017, it's just been on a downward trajectory. 
and that trajectory is um, is forecast to go out to about 2030, by which time we're expecting only 200 to 250,000 tonnes of rutile left per annum. Um, why is that? Declining grades, old mines, no new discoveries until, until we came along. Um, in fact, I think it's about half a century since anyone found a, uh, a, a rutile deposit of our size. Um, and at the same time, I mean, we, you know, without touching on all the uses of, of titanium, um, the demand side is, is likely to creep up by around 3 million tonnes while you see that, uh, that, that huge decrease of around 8 to 10% uh, per annum in the, in the supply markets. Why did you feel you needed to go and list on, on AIM? You, you know, reasonably successful yeah. on, in the, in, on the ASX. So what, what does that do for you? Yeah, so look, uh, I think a little bit of background to Sovereign Metals. So um, Sovereign's been around as a company for, for around a decade, but the, the, the vast majority of that time, up until around 2018, it was focused on exploring and developing um, uh, graphite projects in Malawi. Uh, and, and, and the key, the, the, the main project that was developed was the Malangundi graphite project, which you, you, you might be familiar with. And, you know, we got that up to PFS level. We were doing a DFS. As part of that DFS, um, we were doing some bulk test work. Uh, and and you know, the, the co-discoverers, both uh, Ben and Julian, started asking questions around, well, why, why are we finding titanium in the uh, tailings to the, uh, to the graphite uh, bulk test work. So, so we started asking questions around, well, what form does that titanium take, um, which we found to be rutile, which is a plus because it's the higher, uh, the, the, the higher price commodity. Um, how much of it do we have? So we went and tested 125 drill holes around our, our land holding, um, reassayed them, found, found rutile in pretty much every single one. Um, and then over the last kind of couple of years, we what we did from there was say, is that rutile saleable? So get independent labs to check the um, just how commercial that 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 product that rutile product could be. We found no nasties in it. We found no critical impurities in it. So it's completely a, a saleable product. Um, nothing wrong with the chemistry set. Can we produce it using off the shelf type of uh, uh, type of standard uh, plants and plant and machinery. Yes, we can. Um, and then we got into well, just how much of this do we have? And and uh, and that was the bulk of our time between kind of early 2019 to um, to mid last year uh, when you first met Julian. At which point we said, look, we are the largest undeveloped rutile deposits in the world, given our resource. Then we then. Uh, between the six months from kind of mid-year last year, uh, last year to the end of last year, we then worked on um, getting the getting the re resource uh, upgraded. So we moved half of the resource into the indicated category. That allowed us to do a scoping study on, on the resource. Now, look in terms of the resource, what are we talking? We're talking about 600 million tons of material at around one percent rutile. With coincident to that. Uh, it, it is graphite. So we're getting about just under 6 million tons of, of, of rutile with 7.5 million tons of graphite. Very nice. So, we're, so, so we did a scoping study by the end of last year. What we saw during all of that time between discovery to scoping, to get back to your, your, your question, 
we saw a migration of the stock from Australian retail into German and UK hands, as well as North American hands, um, including some North American funds as well, which are on our register. Um, we saw that we started being compared to peers who are listed over here. Um, we understood, you know, back in the day, as I mentioned, Sierra Rutal was here. So we thought, uh, and, and I guess ultimately there's a, um, the risk factors to do with Africa are probably better understood by the London uh, fraternity. So we thought it was a, it was a good idea to, uh, to allow people to, uh, to invest in us. So we listed our name um, mid-December, a few, few days before our scoping study came out. You got there in the end. I, I wasn't sure where you were yeah. going with that answer. <laughs> right. So <laughs> AIM understands Africa um, a little bit better and uh, gives you a little bit more liquidity over here. Okay. Got it. And I, and I think the comparisons are, 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 are fair to note as well. I think obviously BASE um, have done quite well f following the you know, ASX AIM um, model. Um, right. You've also, um, I, want to, I want to talk about you know, how you're setting this thing up. You're going to, you've told me a lot about the, 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 the company and, and, and how you got here. And no doubt you'll tell me about the, remind us continually about the scale, scale of this. And I, and, and I do want to talk about how you insert yourself into the marketplace because this is, this is pre-production. You're at whatever, 250, uh, million market cap Aussie. Um, you, you know, you, you're fairly valued for where you are, aren't, aren't you? Well, look, we so so let's get into the numbers, right? So our scoping study said if we were to mine our resource over 25 years, um, we would be producing around 122,000 tons of rutile. Now, when, I, when I'm telling you that we're in a market where we're probably losing about 50,000 tons a year of rutile, and, and and we're moving from 2017 700,000 tons to 2030. Of 200,000 tons, 122,000 tons of rutile isn't going to, you know, ruin or or, or move the, uh, the supply demand balance in any 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 huge way, shape, or form. Um, but alongside that, I, I think look, so our our MPV on our project says that uh, you know if we were to do that, if we were to mine for 25 years, we'd have a MPV after tax. Of around 861 uh, million US. Um, so you look at that and you look at our market cap and you think, are they fairly valued? Maybe. But look, that 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 number is based on a resource which is only 30% of the mineralized zone so far. So it doesn't take someone with a with a PhD in maths to go, okay, well, if that resource was to increase over a larger portion of that mineralized zone. What could that MPV look like? And look, the, the 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 other point I want to make is we we did that initial scoping study back then with a capex that we felt was bite sized for a company of our size. It was it was a capex that would be eminently financeable by a company of our size back then, um, and the, the capex was three hundred thirty million dollars, which actually gives you a nice MPV to capex. Uh, multiple of 2.6. That doesn't stop anyone from thinking, well, if a, if you were to throw a billion dollars at this project, what could the MPV look like? 
And that's probably something that we're, we're, we'll start looking at further down the line. Well, see, that, that, this is a bit I want to get into because I want to understand it because you, you're so meaningfully advanced in terms of um, the, the scoping studies, et cetera, and there's some, some economics around this thing, right? So any, anything under that, you know, um, three, three times is uh, in terms of MPV to CapEx is, is, is good. Um, no problems with that, and the payback's quick as well, so all good. But I'm trying to I'm trying to work out how you set yourself up for this because I noticed obviously um, was it uh, Nigel Jones joined joined the board for X That's right. I'm I'm more interested about how you're setting yourself up for success in terms of one. Um, you know the the the, the, the current scoping study is, is is good enough. You don't need to build make this thing a Rolls Royce day one. It just needs to get into cash flow. And I think that's what the, you know. I, as an investor, I'd, I'd be looking for is a kind of proof of concept and route, route to market, and you can go and build this thing out over um, you know subsequently uh, to its full full potential. But it's the how do you do that? So where's where's when do the money conversations start? Is that why you're 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 hiring sort of you know um, big blue chip names um, to the board? I mean, what's the process that you're following there? What are you thinking? You're trying to set up? Yeah, look, it, it, it's it's having done this type of thing for the, the best part of around twenty years. Um, it's way too early to start thinking about what the financing of a project would look like. But you're right, we are positioning ourselves that when that point comes, that we're in the best position possible. And part of that is um, getting MOUs signed with, with key off-takers. So we announced an MOU with, uh, with Haskell International, which is a key um, processor, distributor, trader in, in the welding markets. And, and you, you know, as, you, as you well know, Rutol is used in the welding industry as a form of flux. Um, Haskell has been buying Rutal from other major producers for the last 15 odd years. So to have them come in and say, we'd like 25,000 tons of your 122,000 tons that you're going to produce, um, it, it, it is a great plus for us. The other thing is, obviously, someone like Haskell doesn't come to the table unless they've done um, enough DD on the product. And their DD basically helped us understand that our product can be used in the welding industry. Why does that help us? Well, the welding industry um, pays a 25% premium to, to, to standard Rutal prices. So actually, when you're looking at our project and you're looking at the Rutal price, you can add a little bit more for that, for that, for that premium. But, but but where where is because that's what the other thing I want to see I want to see I want to see contracts and MOUs depending on the wording right you know the wording on that contract you, on that MOU you talk about yeah. you know um, potential and contemplates and there's nothing firm in that so how, where's the pro how long will it take for you to kind of firm up on things like what do they need to see from you and what will others need to see from you before you get like firmer commitments than just MO yeah. MOUs right. So yeah, yeah, so totally understand. So I think I think it's very much if you look at the scoping studies phase and then you look at the pre-feasibility study phase and you look at the, the, the backdoor feasibility study stage. So we've got our scoping numbers out. So there's a bit, you know, there's a bit of plus and minus there in those figures. So an MOU is probably the most relevant type form of a um you know a, a, a contract that you could you, you could have with any of the buyers right now, as we move into the pre-feasibility study stage, both their confidence and our confidence in our product increases. And what that allows is for more, more of a, a you know, uh, 
kind of binding agreements to, to, to be discussed. And then it's once you're at that kind of BFS stage where we know that, you know, we're within plus, plus or minus 5% of the numbers of what this thing's going to look like. We have a very good handle on um, what the financing is going to look like. And at that stage, obviously, those MOUs will, will, will crystallize. I see the MOUs kind of following that Lasson curve in the same way that the, the project, uh, you know, the underlying project does as well. Okay, so given, given that it's a relatively simple process to, yeah. to write mineral sands, um, it, and it's relatively cheap too. What are the what are the kind of major hurdles for you? Obviously, you're you're in Malawi. Um, we've spoken to a couple of uh, companies operating there. Um, but how, where do you, where do you, where do you see the pit kind of pitfalls? The things that you are have you got your team laser focused on in terms of whether it be permits or licensing or social license people want to talk about these days? I mean, what, what are you focused on? Yeah. So look, starting at the end of that list, social license is a you know, everyone wants to talk about ESG in one form or another. And, uh, and a lot of, uh, let's say, a lot of companies within the mining space love to talk about the E and forget about the S and G. And we're, we're very much focused on, you know, giving giving enough um, enough value to each of those, uh, those those three buckets. And also on the social licensing side, um, look, we, we hired Nigel Jones, which you mentioned. Nigel is uh, ex Rio Tinto. He was the MD of the Simandu project there, which is a huge iron ore project in Guinea. So, and, and, and a lot of his time was spent on understanding in migration, community relations, um, biodiversity on the ground, all that kind of stuff. That, that, that's, that's super important when you have a project of our size or of the size of Simandu. I mean, look, the, our, our, our mineralized zone today is about one and a half times the size of the city of Manchester. So it's not a small project by any means, right? So, 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 so it's very important that we understand those community relations. It's very important that we have social license um, to do that. On all the other points around um, doing work in Malawi, look, the infrastructure is all there um, for us to be able to get our product out and onto. Um, on, onto vessel. Uh, in our scoping study, we did a lot of work around the power and uh, around the water uh, issues. So power, you know, Malawi is uh, does have a hydro grid uh, or hydro powered grid. Um, but look, it's not going to be working all the time. And in order to compensate for that, uh, we've been in discussions with an independent power provider about building a solar farm uh, right next to our project. Um, the project isn't going to be massively uh, power hungry. It's around 14 megawatts. And, uh, and the independent power provider who we're talking to has already built a 60 megawatt and a, uh, a 20 megawatt solar farm in Malawi. that are both uh, commissioning right now. So so it's uh, you know we're not we're we're not paving new roads. It's uh, it, it's something that's already been done. So that's the power side. On the water side, um, look, we're, we're we're very we're very lucky in the form that Malawi has a rainy season. Um, during that rainy season, we're able to essentially gather that water in in a dam that we will build on site as well. And that water. Um, we've done a lot of work around recycling the water within a almost a closed loop. So, so the same water goes around, and if we need a bit of a top up, 
there's more than enough uh, uh, water around Malawi. Brilliant. Okay, that, that, that's literally where I was going because I, I think the the, the EBIT, as I say, is is, is important in, in in that sense. So um, as is the, and I think you talk about it in the, one of the presentations was about the rehabilitation of, of the land and then you know returning it to. Um, the, for local land use, whatever that may be. So, just just in terms of those conversations locally, because we've seen a lot, number of projects held up, cancelled, uh, you know, companies having to walk away, etc. Is is the the the, employ, the employment and money coming into the the local environment, not just at you know f- federal level, but you know lo- local level? I mean, how how do you guys? Um, what are the conversations that you have there around that? Because that's like, it's the whole, right, we, we've got to look after the environment and the, and the water is a big, big part of what you do, clearly, hence the simplicity of it all. You've got to remediate the land back to, well, what I'm intrigued by. And in terms of the buy-in locally, what, what's a, how do you encourage them to get in, get involved, approve, you know, not stand in the way? Yeah, so look, the first thing to mention is um, about 95% of our workforce on the ground is Malawian, is local Malawian. About 60% of that is actually female as well. So, so we're, 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 we're really kind of paving the way there. Kathea, if it's built out to the, uh, the size of the scoping, the initial scoping study, it would employ around 480 people, uh, locally. Um, and in terms of, and those are just direct jobs in terms of indirect jobs. I mean, you're talking 3,000 plus, so so it's it's quite a, a large contributor to the local uh, population in that way. Um, more at the federal level, all the numbers we give are always after tax, and 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 that tax in terms of Malawi, we've currently got at you know 30 percent is the is the going corporation tax rate. There's also a five percent uh, uh, Malawian royalty within there as well. So there's so there's plenty of plenty of fat there for uh, for for Malawian um, you know fiscal returns for building this this project. So you can see that actually we're 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 at this stage now where we could we could to, we, there could be a quantum shift in uh, Malawian economics just based on Kasia the size of Kasia. And if it was to 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 be built out to something even bigger than what we're we're perceiving, right? So it's a very very well established um, r- rule of law and mining mining code. There again, it's, it's something more and more it's, people do want to talk about ESG all the time, and you know, and, yeah. and you know, they sit on different sides of the fence, and that and that's fine. But with regards to actually the ability to do business in Africa, that's something that we've been trying to um, help people understand um, that. It, it's like any mining anywhere else. So you don't expect changes to taxation or mining law or et cetera. It, it, it has so far been a reasonable ride for you guys, or is there a little bit of look, pushback? Look, so, so, so Malawi is a uh, member of the Commonwealth. Um, it has very good relations with the UK and other, um, uh, uh, other developed nations, Western nations, but it is a poor country. And around 40% of its GDP comes from, from global aid. So, so there's more than enough impetus from the, from the, um, grassroots level as well as the, the top level to, to ensure that, that foreign direct investment into building jobs, building, uh, real infrastructure, building real businesses in Malawi, um, happens. And, 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 and obviously Malawi understands that 
with other nations in Africa, mining is one of those key industries that it needs to focus on. So, so actually, it's a, it, 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 our, our chairman calls it Africa 101 because it's so simple to do business there. I mean, we've, uh, you know, as a company, we've been there for 12 years and not had any issues, whether that's licenses or, uh, you know, um, getting new licenses or anything like that. Um, so, so, so we're pretty, we're, we're pretty happy that we're in Malawi of all places. That's okay. For sure. Okay. Um, also, I just want to kind of finish off because in terms of we've been, we've been talking, um, for a while now. Um, you talk about lower carbon footprint alternative. I mean, again, as part of this kind of ESG carbon neutral, uh, et cetera, conversations, which are all, all the vogue. All in vogue at the moment. And um, you put a case forward that you are obviously a much lower carbon footprint alternative to the synthetic uh, retail industry. So, do you want to give us your view on that? Yeah, sure. So, we we, we just recently announced a um, the results of a, uh, a, a a independent study on the um, carbon footprint of mining cassia natural rutile the way we've outlined in the scoping study. So last year, we had already done a piece of work which said, if you were to take a ton of natural rutile and use that within the pigment production process, uh, how much carbon emissions or greenhouse gas emissions are you uh, offsetting vis-a-vis um, -vis what, what, what is mainly used now or currently used now, which is upgraded ilmenite alternative uh, feedstock in the form of synthetic rutile or Titania slag, um, which are both produced from ilmenite using very energy intensive, carbon intensive processes. Um, and, and what that study said was, well, you save uh, around 2.8 tons of carbon dioxide emissions for every ton of natural rutile you use. So we took that a step further, having established the initial scoping study, and we asked the same consultancy, right, okay, so if you were to mine our natural rutile, get it out of Cassia onto a vessel, and it was to go to, um, you know, a pigment production plant in, in, in Europe, for example, uh, versus those two other alternatives of synthetic rutile and titanium slag. What is the, uh, what is the carbon offset? And we found that, you know, that, that carbon offset is, is, is three tons plus of carbon dioxide emissions. Now, on a, on, on a per ton basis, what does that mean to the layperson? You know, how much is three tons of carbon dioxide? Well, a car emits around one and a half tons of carbon dioxide per year. So you can, uh, you, you can quite quickly see when we're talking about mining thousands of tons of rutile for multiple decades, how impactful that could be over time um, in terms of the CO2 emissions saved from using natural rutile over those uh, those alternative feedstocks. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of it's kind of interesting, but it's also a necessary part of the narrative these days. Because if you're going to go and raise money, um, funds are looking at at these these sorts of um, uh, numbers, and they need to believe them. Um, and it also makes your money cheaper when when they do um, you know uh, you know. Uh, uh, Offer you the offer you the capital because it seems to be the story coming back from a lot of companies we're, we're talking to at the moment. So your cash position at the moment, you're, whatever you are, right, about three three million Aussie. So you're going to have to dip yep. back into the market this year, aren't you? Well, look, so we've got three million Aussie. We've got uh, around four and a half million dollars of options that are uh, currently in the money. 
um, and they're, uh, they, they, they expire in a few weeks. So we're hoping as long as the share price doesn't do anything uh, funny um, and the macro stay as they are, um, or hopefully get better, uh, that, that, that money will come in. If not, you know, we, yes, we, we, we know this, we know there's enough appetite out there in the market for, uh, for, for our paper. So in terms of getting to where we need to get to, um, I think, I think, you know, that, that if, if we can't do it with, with, with those, that option money, we'll get there with, uh, with other money. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And then, because okay, I think my observation, um, of the conversation from last year was, um, super, super, super team, super asset, but, not so good on the marketing, right? Which is you know one one of the legs of the stool that you you, you kind of need. So what what are you what are you going to be able to do this year in terms of regularity of, of talking to the marketplace and the sorts of things that you're going to be talking to the marketplace about? Because it's one of these, like I said, bit, bit more um, uh, exotic commodities that people struggle to perhaps understand um, that they use in their everyday life um, yeah. in terms of the pigmentation component, certainly. Um, what 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 can you do? What more can you do this year in terms of getting yourselves out there? Because you're 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 meaningfully advancing on on a lot of fronts, but it's perhaps not yet understood. Yeah, you're you're completely right. And look, we're, when when you made that observation last year, we were the first ones to take it on board. And you know, we we have been a team. You know, we're a prudent team. Where 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 if we're not geologists or engineers, we're chartered accountants by background. So everyone's quite prudent wants to have the the correct answer before we start shouting about it um and that was that was pretty much the kind of culture that we had or still have um within the team but i think you'll find since we've listed on aim and since we've got the scoping study out we're a lot happier to 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 talk about ourselves and um and and you know we've we've moved from having an rns out maybe or an announcement out maybe once a month to if you look on our website now, uh, or, or you follow us on Twitter, you'll see we 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 almost have a. In fact, I think we do have an RNS out once a week, and they're they're, they're all pretty material announcements um, to do with drill results, to do with the carbon footprint analysis, um, to do with the the, the the MOUs that we're signing. So they're all they're, you know they're not they're not gap fillers. They're the real quantum movements. In the company towards uh, towards getting to a point where you know we're, we're happy with we're, we're happy enough to say the market has enough information to value us um, to value us the way we want them to value us. And alongside that, obviously, we are doing as much PR work as uh, as a small team can. So uh, lots of interviews with with, with, with people like yourselves, uh, podcasts, webinars are all out there if you Google us. Um, and uh, or if you follow us on Twitter, you'll you'll definitely get a handle of uh, a handle of the company. Sapan, appreciate your time today. Thanks for the run through uh, and, and the update. Uh, stay in touch. Let us know how you get on. Okay. We'll do, Matthew. Thank you.